From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. We may not live within them, but we all have budgets. We've spoken on this show about the tough spending choices many people have to make, having to choose between buying medicine or food or paying rent or putting gas in the car. For GPB's Energy Series reporter Ross Terrell got a close look at just how hard it is can it can be for some people on tight budgets to pay their utility bills. His story airs on Friday, but Ross is here with a preview of what he learned. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Just fine. Now, this GPB series digs into energy sources, as we're going to hear in a couple minutes, fracking, solar infrastructure, really important stories. But yours looks at something almost every household deals with, the power bill. What kind of questions did you have going into this? Yeah, so, you know, like like we said, we have this series on energy, and I feel like sometimes I can get so wonky when you talk policy and solar panels. So I, I really wanted to put a face on this, you know, and like you mentioned, we all have utility bills, but I started doing some research and seeing that, okay, there's a such thing known as an energy burden, who that affects, how it affects them. And I really wanted to find out, like, is this actually that big of a problem? Because it, it's it's not necessarily how much your utility bill is, but it's the percentage that you're paying toward it. Uh-huh, percentage game. Exactly. And so anything above 6% of your income going towards energy, the human health, the services, uh, says that's unaffordable. And so I went to look at who is affected by this, and I found that low-income communities are, and then what solutions are available to them. Well, I'm thinking about running AC 24-7 at this time of year. Mm -hmm. That can be a whopping bill, and it is necessary. The CDC says that heat is the number one cause of weather-related deaths. So you figured out this number, one-sixth? you said of the income yes okay and how do you find people who are paying too much yeah so it's a it, there are a number of programs out there that'll help people but usually in, it's in a one bill basis or it's just in the winter um so i really went through those programs to see how many applications are you getting because we're still talking about a limited pot of money and from my heard it's you know this is a small pot it's open to seniors at first, but then there's an entire population outside of that. People with kids, people who may have lost their jobs that need help. And really, they help put me in touch with people that are, are struggling. And uh, that's where I met the woman in the story, Barbara, uh, who is 76 years old and lives in rural Georgia. All right. She lives in Washington, Georgia. She's been living there for decades. This is a rural area between Athens and Augusta. Retired after 35 years of working in a factory. She's got grandkids. Whole neighborhood, I guess, calls her Grandma Barb. Yes. Yes, sounds like do. Sounds like quite a woman. Here she is showing you her power bills. Yeah, you might look at it and say, well, this ain't anything, but it's a lot for me. I don't look for nobody to take care of me, because I look at it when I was your age, I should have went on and got a better ed- education and looked for a better job that could give me more Social Security. Just think about working at a job 35 years, I don't even get retirement plan. Wow. So do you remember how much her bill was? Yeah. So we looked at a few bills. Uh, the most, uh, I'll say, egregious one was from uh, last November, and that one was $890. For one month of power? That, that was a combination of late fees in that month, so about 400 each way. Um, her bill that's due this month, uh, that was due on the third of this month, was another 400 uh, that she wasn't able to pay. Um, but she's really playing the catch-up game here. It's, it's do I pay this month or do I pay the, the late fee? And there was a point when I was talking to her, she was saying, you know, when the bill is due, the next morning, sometimes it's just a check game. She wakes up, she turns on the stove just to see if it'll come on and mm-hmm. make sure she has gas for that day. And, um, you know... That's something that you don't really hear about. Like you said with the AC, we're used to running it. It's hot. Turn it on. And she needs to run it um, because she's older. But it comes at a heavy cost to her. Did she ever think, maybe I'll just run without AC? 
Uh, she keeps it on 71. She doesn't touch it. She said there are two things her kids know. She keeps don't touch a thermostat and don't sit in her seat. <laughs> and um, so that was actually the cheap end. She put in a central AC unit for about 3200 a few years ago because that actually costs less than running a ceiling fan or running a window unit. Uh-huh. Okay. So, all right. But what does she do? I mean, what happens when the power company says you owe $800 in bills? What's the cutoff? When did they say we're turning the lights out? Yeah, she says... Uh, a lot of times for her, all she hears is, you know, either pay or it's going to get cut off. So she's looked for help. She's gone through a number of services out in Augusta since she's in Washington, which is kind of middle of nowhere. Um, she uses what she can of her check to pay usually that late fee. Um, and then she's, she's got a lot of federal assistance, or at least trying to get it. She's tried to get state-run programs to help with weatherization uh, to potentially tighten up some things so that utility bill doesn't get so high. Um, but she also revealed to me she only gets $15 a month in food stamps. And so, you know, that's another problem uh, that just kind of compounds. I know that she has high energy, but she has to buy groceries. She has to fix her car. She has doctor's appointments. And this is something that's really she's constantly kind of in a hamster wheel with. Yeah. What is she what is she not buying? I guess is the question. Right. Um, but this is after also working 35 years in a factory. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would think that that would give you a little bit more financial basis. But she's a senior citizen. We already right. mentioned, you know, heat, number one problem. So she she's running her AC at 71. Let's talk about her budget. Here's mm-hmm. Barbara telling you the options that she considered to pay that energy bill. Okay, I'm on budget, that mm-hmm. income. But when the emergency thing come up, I have to try to handle the best thing. I need my car to go back and forward to keep my doctor appointment. You know, and take care of other things. Now I'm in doctor appointment paying other bills. So she is choosing, she's got a lot of choices. Yes. And how many people, do you get a sense of how many in Georgia are living with this kind of challenges? So the numbers we looked at, the number of people or households that are eligible to apply for, let's say, the state-run program, the House of Weatherization, we're looking at about a million households. Uh, and that's based on federal income poverty levels. Um we're also looking at a city in Atlanta who has the fourth highest energy burden in the country. Really? Yes. Uh they're typically higher in the southeast, but Atlanta is a top five city for that. And that gets even higher when you start to break it out by zip code. Um, but then you see that problem exacerbated in rural areas like Barbara. So her, I calculate without late fees, her energy burden is somewhere between 17 and 36 percent. And that's just the amount of her income that she's spending on her utility bills. And I think uh, another thing that surprised me was that it's not something that too many people would talk about. It's because you have to have lights and water and AC. And Barbara mentioned, she's like, you know, I have to have gas. So sometime I'll go without the lights. I can light a candle or, but I have to have water or I have to have my car. So she has to make these choices about what she truly needs. It's, it's, it was heartbreaking. I mean, to me, I'm, I'm thinking about when you did the we did the food series mm-hmm. at GPB. You talked about a man named Bobby Akins, lived in a food desert, didn't have a car. You, you spent hours on a string of buses mm-hmm. just going one way to the food bank or get to the grocery store. And you told us as a human being, you just wanted to help. Mm-hmm. Did Barbara's story affect you like that? Yeah, this one was uh, this one kind of followed that same path. I think especially you know going to sit with her, hearing that the neighbors call her Grandma Barb. She's just this this neighborhood friendly woman and and the whole time she kept telling me she says you know people have bills higher than me like i'm not the the i guess the peak of this and so it's hard then hearing her story and just hopping back in your car and driving knowing okay well tonight i'll have ac and when it's time to pay the bill i'll split with my roommate and we'll be good to go 
I think the human side, you really do want to help. But, you know, as journalists, we have to just tell their story and yeah. hope that potentially she can find help. It's interesting, Ross, because your original idea from the, for the story was to determine if green energy choices were mm-hmm. options for low-income folks. Uh, you asked Barbara about investing in solar panels. I mean, is, is going green Mm-hmm. even possible for people in her situation. It's it's weird because that is a solution. So we know going green over time does lower Pay your off, bill. Right? Exactly. But you're also looking at a decade for that to happen. You're looking at $15,000 average up front. And, and she pointed out, she's like, my check can't go so many ways, you know? And I thought about, you know, what about the idea of community solar where everybody kind of pulls in for this community program? And she's like, it's something we would love to do, but you, you, once again, that's another choice. Do I keep paying my bill or do I invest in something that I hope in 10 years could possibly pay off? Ross, thanks so much. We look forward to your story on Friday. Thank you. Ross Terrell there with a preview of his upcoming story for GPB's energy series. He looked into the energy realities for people in low-income households. You can hear his story again this Friday during Morning Edition and All Things Considered on GPB. Another On Second Thought regular is reporting for the Energy Series. Stephen Fowler looked at the sources that support Georgia's power grid. In other words, he tried to figure out where the electricity that powers your AC, your lights, and your phone charger comes from. From the whir of an espresso machine, to the register that rings up my chai tea latte, to the soca music playing on the speakers, Joe's East Atlanta Coffee Shop has dozens of examples of Georgia's energy mix at work. It's not like there are signs saying, coffee maker powered by solar panels or lamps brought to you by the Chattahoochee River. But utility providers like Georgia Power, electric membership cooperatives, and city-run power companies do bring you electricity using a variety of sources. There's a large power plant that is generating the electricity, and then it flows out onto the power grid. Um, That's Christy Swartz, who covers energy for E&E News, an outlet focused on energy and the environment. She says Georgia's current energy mix is made up primarily of natural gas, coal, and nuclear. There is a mix of renewables. There's some solar and there's some hydro for those that want to call that a renewable. There's a big movement to expand biomass and to look at wind and storage as well. According to the Federal Energy Information Administration, about 8% of the state's energy came from renewable sources in 2017. So who's in charge of figuring out how Georgia balances its energy needs and if changes need to be made? Well, the Public Service Commission in Georgia strictly deals with the utilities and how that affects ratepayers. Jason Shaw is the newest member of the PSC, a five-member elected board that regulates Georgia Power and other investor-owned utilities. Georgia Power, which serves more than 2.5 million customers, has to present what's known as an integrated resource plan to the commission. That's the three-year update to the 20-year energy plan for Georgia Power Company. This is where we decide what the energy mix is going to be for the next three years of this 20-year plan. Shaw says this year's IRP showcases the biggest growth opportunity for the state's energy mix, solar power. Georgia had basically no solar in 2010. But basically, based on where we are now and what's proposed in the stipulation agreement, um, we'll be looking at, by 2024, we'll be looking at close to 5,000 megawatts 
of new solar. That could put Georgia Power at close to a fifth of its energy from renewable sources. Coupled with very low natural gas prices, that means the utility will close more coal-fired power plants in the future. That shift has already cut Georgia Power's CO2 emissions by about half since 2007. Back at Joe's Coffee Shop, Christy Swartz, the energy reporter, says the energy industry is at a transition point across the country, not just in Georgia. From big, big appliances to even smaller devices that we use each day, they're becoming more efficient. Combine that with technological advancements, with energy storage, and the coffee shop of the future may be getting its power in a very different energy landscape. The next three years, at least, will be more certain. The Public Service Commission will issue its final decision about Georgia Power's electricity plan on July 16th. For GPP News, I'm Stephen Fowler in Atlanta. And you can catch more of GPP's Energy Series all week during Morning Edition and All Things Considered. And if you're interested in the topic, check out On Second Thoughts conversation from Monday about the city of Savannah's investments in electric cars. That is all at gpb.org. While we were listening to Stephen's story, Tim Nichols tweeted us, there are programs available to help ratepayers replace gas furnaces, gas water heaters, weatherization, and other things that Ross may not even know about. The three highest energy burden zip codes in Atlanta are 30310, 30311, and 14. You could should have member of the P- PSC for balance. Well, that's a suggestion that we can take in. And also, you're going to hear from a lot of people from the Public Service Commission during this energy series. You can join the conversation on our Facebook group. Yesterday, dozens of people shared their favorite pie with us in response to our interview with two scientists slash pie bakers. Cherry, Key Lime, and Pecan got the most votes. Jack Regan voted 3.14159. Share your comments on our Facebook group. We're on Twitter at OST Talk. Stay with us for a debate over naming Bankhead's new Marta station.